Take your Bibles, Luke chapter 22, and I'm going to say a prayer and ask God to bless us. Uh, Adam Durkin is back, by the way, from his trip to San Diego as he was helping uh, uh, initiate and organize uh, the refugees uh, coming in from all over the world into America. I'm going to have him come up next uh, uh, week and share uh, about that. And so right now, though, your Bible should be open up to Luke chapter 22. Uh, also next uh, Sunday, I'm also going to have... Um, Kevin Caseda come up and share a little bit next Sunday also about what God's doing in his life and how we can come alongside. So right now, let's pray, though, and let's ask God to be here and anoint this time of study in his word and to recover that hour of sleep that was stolen from us. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that indeed you're God and you're good. Lord, as Paul mentioned, we were at the men's conference yesterday and upwards of eight, maybe nine, maybe even a thousand people. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that... You would continue to raise up, Lord, your men and your women, your young people, married people, single people. Lord, you're just so, you're so unique and diverse in your creation. So today, Lord, on this day as we study, I believe you've picked this portion for today, Lord, on such a day as this that we might study and that you might give us ears to hear, Lord, and lives to live for your glory. I pray, Lord, that Holy Spirit, you would have your way and you would open up our hearts and then lead our lives. I surrender myself to you, Lord. You know I'm a little groggy, a little tired, running hard, and I need your graces today to teach, and we need your graces today to listen. Give us ears to hear, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, you guys know we've been studying the Last Supper. If you've ever thought about somebody's last words before they die, they're pretty important. Not everyone is given the privilege of knowing you're about to die, therefore speak. Jesus knew that his hour had come. Everything he had been born for and lived for and aimed for was now culminating in the Last Supper and then the final offering of his Passover sacrifice. And so when he then gathered his boys and says, guys, take, eat this bread, it's my body. Take this cup and drink, it's my blood. He knew what he was saying and he didn't stop there. Right after dinner, Jesus kept talking. Talk, talk, talk. Talk And the gospel writers record what he said. In today's section, though, as we get there, Luke only, not Mark, not Matthew, not John, record what Luke has to say. It's an interesting subnote, if you would. We're going to study it out. If you want to take the time, though, from now, it's Lent for some people. Some people celebrate in that way 40 days before Easter, and Ash Wednesday was last Wednesday, and making preparation for uh, Easter and resurrection. If you want to do something for your own soul, Leading up to the cross, I would say read John's gospel beginning in chapter 13 uh, at your own pace, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, all the way to the crucifixion. That's seven chapters that Luke gives, or John gives us, not Luke, but that John gives us detailing what Jesus said right after dinner. Hey, dinner's about to end today, and we're going to see what Jesus has to say. But before dinner ended, you guys remember that Jesus said, one of you guys is going to betray me. And they instantly said, oh, it's got, it's got to be me. He's been watching me. He knows what's going on in my heart. He identified, no, it's Judas, and whew, I'm actually not that bad. If you think about it, on a scale from 1 to 10, I'm better than these bozos. That's all that matters. And these guys began to promote themselves. And Jesus looked at Simon. He said, Simon, Simon, this is what we studied last week. You're going to betray me. You're going to deny me three times. Satan has desired to sift you. Like, Let's just read it. Verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. 
And But Simon Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And then Jesus said to him, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. I like how Jesus is a wordsmith. He called him Simon Simon. This was his original birth name. His name had been changed to Peter. He was now Simon Peter. Simon meant shifting sand, kind of shady guy. And Jesus said, now that you're with me, you're a new person. Your new name is Peter, Petra, rock. You're solid. You're Rocky Balboa now. No one can take you down. And yet Jesus said, you know what? You do have a little bit of Simon left in you. He said, Simon, Simon. But look at verse 34. I want you to see the contrast. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day until you deny me three times. Stop right there, eyes up here. He called him Simon, Simon, but in the same conversation, he then called him Peter. See, Jesus knew his character outside of Christ, and he also knew his character inside of Christ. He knew that he was what he was capable of apart from Jesus, and he also knew what he was potentially able to do inside of Jesus. Have you figured this out for your own walk? Have you figured out what you're capable of apart from Jesus? Okay, that's when you have to call your parole officer and turn yourself in, okay? Maybe I'm the only honest one. That's what happens when, we, when you don't walk with Jesus, man. You're over here, and yet you're able to come to Jesus. And I love how the Lord knows what we can do without him and yet calls us to walk with him. You see, Jesus had already changed Peter's name because he'd already changed his character. He'd been transformed. And yet, even after being radically touched and radically transformed, Peter was still capable of doing some pretty gnarly stuff. Let's just be honest. I know you guys are the 9 a.m. service. You guys are the most holy service. I realize that. (laughs) But how many of you guys, since being radically touched and changed by Jesus in your history, you've done some pretty gnarly things? I mean, raise your hands. Raise your hands, okay? Half of you. The rest of you. Wow, good job, good job. You just, you just lied in church. Good job. You know what I'm saying? Man, I gave my life to Jesus a long time ago, and I have done some dishonorable things since giving my life to Jesus, some shady things, where I've seen the old Luke Frechette nature creep back up, and yet Jesus says, you know what's going on there, Luke? You want to know what's going on there? Because I prayed for you, bro. What are you praying for, Jesus? Because I just failed miserably. I did it again. I swore I would never go here. I swore I'd never become that man. And I love you, Jesus, but why am I over here doing this? You might say, I might have said. And Jesus said, I prayed for you. Satan wants to take you down, sift you like wheat. But I have prayed that your faith would not fail. And then when you're restored, in other words, when you come through the other side, there's going to be chaff left behind. And there's going to be wheat, which is good. It's redeemable. There's going to be good things that come from, listen, bad news, your failures. There's going to be good things that come from the fiery trials, okay, that try you. I, I wish, again, once we got saved, we were just given this invisible suit or maybe a rapture stick and just, man, we're gone. And the Lord says, oh, you're saved. Now let me, Psalm 23, restore your soul. Now let me refine you. And Jesus, he, he tells Peter exactly what he's about to do. Dude, you're going to deny me three times. Yesterday, uh, Daniel Fusco, my good friend, was teaching. He pointed out the fact that even Judas Iscariot didn't deny that he knew the Lord. I mean, he betrayed the Lord. He sold him for 30 pieces. But in so doing, Judas even gave him, we'll see this next week, he gives Jesus a, a hug and a kiss. I totally know this guy. Peter's like, I've never seen him. You know, like, what's his worth, man? They're both pretty bad. And Peter here is prophesied what he's going to do. And here's the great news. Jesus is in control. He knows what he's doing. And even though Peter would fail miserably, Jesus still saw himself 
inside of Peter, and Peter's a new person. Now, when you study this out on your own this week, uh, anticipating and leading up to Easter, right here Jesus says, you shall not, the crow shall, what is it, verse, verse uh, 34, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. Did you know that he continues on after that? He keeps talking, not as Luke records, but as John records. Most of you are familiar with it. It's John 14, 1. John 14, 1. Most of you know it. Here's what it says. I'll read it to you. He says this, right on the heels of this prediction of his betrayal, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. He goes on to say, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you go. And Jesus begins now, John 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. That's a lot of talking. Right after telling Peter, it's going to be a bad night for you, bro. But don't lose heart. I know what I'm doing. He goes on in John 16, to say, in this world you're gonna have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. He gives promise after promise after promise right after he told Peter it's gonna be rough sledding for a minute though. The reason I think this is so profound and why it's recorded in the Gospels is because Jesus knew that Peter was gonna fail and he made provisions for his failures and Jesus knows that you and I will fail him and he's made provision for our failures and Jesus knows that the world outside of church right now is failing him and we need to know that they have had provision, God's given provision for that world and he wants to make them know about it through you and me and if you don't know the good news, what news do you have? The good news is, is Jesus knows you're gonna fail. You see, we get kind of twisted and we think that Christianity isn't good news, we think it's good advice. Christianity, it's a religion. Do this and don't do that and figure it out and man up and step up and rise up and get it done. Uh, teacher, what if I fall down? Oh, there's good news. Jesus has made provision for your sins. He has gone before you. What's he doing? He's building you a house. He's got rooms in his dad's house. Man, he's got things. He's coming back for you. He's got the whole thing worked out. Yeah, but you just said I'm going down. You said it's going to be bad news for me. I know, but there's good news too. It's all about Jesus and what he said he could do. And here's the thing we talked about last week. Peter actually needed to get sifted. Okay, Wheat's not any good until that chaff comes off. It's still wheat right there under the surface. is good stuff. But you can't access it. It's too hard and there's too much shell on the outside. And Peter needed to get sifted. Remember what Peter said one time? Uh, he said, hey, Lord, these other guys, uh, they're going to totally bail on you, but I never will. Okay, did you know that that needed to be sifted from Peter? Two things, pride in himself and judgment towards others. Okay, you honestly can't, let me say it this way, you can't write First and Second Peter, you don't get to, you know what I'm saying, if you have pride in yourself and judgment towards others. He's just not going to let you do it. God's not going to let you be part of the team. He's not going to let you be the first pope. It's kind of a joke. Actually, it's a, it's, a real, it's a totally funny joke. He's not the first pope. But anyways, <laughs> he's not going to let you do it if, if you don't have that pride dealt with and that judgment towards others. And let me just make it real personal. If you have pride in yourself today, me, myself, and I, we got this. I'm better than that guy. I'm not as bad as I used to be. I'm, pretty, I'm not bad. And if you have judgment towards others, there may be some sifting in your future. There may be sifting going on right now. Like, why am I struggling in this one area? Why does this keep coming? What's going on? And maybe the Lord's like, I'm sifting you. 
There's pride. Yeah, I, don't, I, just, I, I, I want to do things through you, but I can't if you have that pride. You've got to leave that behind. Oh. And your judgment towards others, you're looking down your religious nose. And, and that's what Peter said. These other guys, pff, weaklings. And the Lord said, I'm going to have to take you down, Pete, before I give you the good news, man. I can't let you lead the church if you have this weird doctrine. And remember when uh, just a few verses from now, Peter will be there with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he feels threatened. And so what does Peter do when he feels threatened? He grabs his sword out, and he goes and cuts Malchus's ear off. Okay? He wasn't a swordsman. He was a fisherman, so he's a bad, a bad swordsman. If he was a good swordsman, it would have been his head. Like, I would have got him. He missed. He's like, oh, dang, I just got your ear. <laughs> Jesus is like, I can't believe you got anything, bro. You know the story. Jesus picks up Malchus's ear. He's like, sorry about that, bro. He's a little rough around the edges. Let me go and put that back on there, you know. And you know Malchus started his own ministry, right? Okay. It's called Miracle Ear. Anyways. <laughs> Just kidding. I don't know if that's true. That's what I would have done. Oh, man. It was it's actually more dumb than funny. That wasn't even funny. It's dumb. He, he wanted to cut off Malchus's ear. Just anger and frustration. Let me just say it this way. Again, make it personal application time. If you have anger and frustration in your life and you're just lashing out at people, okay, you're still saved. You're one of God's kids, but he's going to have to sift that out of you. He, wants, he, he, he loves you just the way you are. So cool. But he loves you too much to let you stay that way. And so right now, I don't, the sifting comes a thousand different ways, doesn't it? I mean, a million different ways. It doesn't even matter. Just get that chaff off. And remember what else Peter did? Just, just a few hours from now, he would deny the Lord three times. That's what was predicted. I don't, I don't know him. I don't know Jesus. I'm not a Christian. I'm not, I don't, la, 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 you know, I don't want to be known with this guy. Dude, you can't be Peter the apostle if that's going to be your character. That had to be sifted. Fear man, cowardice, lack of courage. And I'm going to say it this way. We live in 2019, and it's kind of like, I don't, think we've, I don't think I've done it, or maybe you haven't. I don't, there's been a, a, a line drawn in the sand, though. Maybe by the liberal media, maybe by somebody else, maybe by somebody, an antagonistic friend of yours. And if you're like me, you're like, I don't know if I really want to like, fight somebody or stand for Jesus. It'd be easier just to kind of like pretend I just kind of blend in. Are you a Christian? Ah, yeah, you know. Ah, not really sure if I know him. And Jesus is saying, you either know me or you don't. And I'm not asking you to go to the line and cut ears off. Don't do that. I'm not asking you to be belligerent and get on a soapbox. But I do need you to confess me before men okay, in humility. Peter, Peter couldn't do that. He, he denied Jesus before a, an unthreatening little girl. And Jesus said, man, you're not gonna, you can't be Peter if you're not willing to, to stand with me by the cross. And maybe you're here this morning and it's a safe environment. I'm glad you're here. South Beach Church, 9 a.m. Coffee's strong. Love it. And you're a Christian, but, but you're not really a vocal Christian or a, I'll use the word proud. You're not a proud Christian. You're just kind of docile in the Lord. So you know what I, you know what I need you to do with love and humility? I need you to be ready to give a, an answer for the hope that lies within you with meekness and respect. 1 Peter 3.15. That's what Peter said later on. He said, hey guys, when you're asked about your faith, have, have, have a reason. Know your testimony with me meekness and respect, okay? Nope, don't cut people's heads off. Peter would say, how did Peter get that wisdom? He did it the wrong way the first time. 
He wasn't absolutely perfect, even though he was saved. He had some Simon left in him. And I'm just, I'm so encouraged by this story. Because Jesus is sifting Peter and he's sifting you. And you and I need to go through trials and tests and, man, even failures to work out the rough areas in our lives. To expose the flesh and the sinful things that we still deal with. I remember in my uh, early 20s and uh, just starting to walk with the Lord, I was finding myself slipping back into that old way, you know, or early, just bad days. And I remember I was hanging out with a pastor friend of mine and he asked me specifically, Are you ever going to do this stuff again? Because I'll be in surfaced and dealing with. And I looked at him and I said this I said, Never again. You know what he said to me? Wrong answer. And I was like, What? what's the right answer then? And he said, you've got to have more humility than that. You can't say never again. You're probably going to do it again. You've got to, by God's fear and trembling, Lord, I, I don't know what lies within me scares me. Lord, would you keep me on a short leash? And God allows you in order that you wouldn't be condescending, that you wouldn't be negative, that you wouldn't be angry, that you wouldn't be prideful towards others to fall down a few times. Now, this is really good news for those of you who are right now flat on your face. Like, what am I doing here, you know? The Lord's like, I know. I'm letting, I'm letting this happen. I'm not going to let you stay there. I'm going to get you out of this mess. Why? Because I'm building a house right now. I'm doing stuff. Anybody ever built a house before? Okay. My wife and I moved here in 2010. We bought a piece of land in Agate Beach and hired a dare home builders to build a house. And, and I was there every single day with them. And man, we built a house. And building a house is nuts. Man, the details involved, you know, buying a house and putting a key in the door, hey, that was crazy, you know. Building a house, man, you got tractors and excavators and surveyors and permit guys and you got things and there's the site prep and the foundation pour and the plumbing and the framework goes up and the insulation and the drywall and the roof and the windows and the paint. It's like a lot of details. Did you know that right now Jesus is building you up spiritually, inside, and he's also building a house for you in heaven. This is what he's doing right now. And I remember going through those days. They poured our foundation December 16, 2010. We moved in April 2nd, 2011. It was quick, but it was still a long process. And there was times I was like, I don't think they're doing it right. You know what I mean? Like, I'd show up to the works out every once in a while, and there'd be no workers there. Like, whoa, wasted day, you know. And there's things in your life, you're like, God, are you doing anything today? Here's the great news, okay? And I live in that house, okay? My daughter was born in that house, May 31st, man, in the dining room, dude. Don't tell anybody. But anyway, she's born right there, you know? <laughs> man, we live in that house. I love what goes on in that house. Man, my family, there's beautiful things happening. And what Jesus is doing in your life right now, if you can, if you can apprehend it, He's building stuff in your life. He told Peter, he prayed for him, that his faith would not fail. His activity, his integrity, his character, ugh. the building inspector would come over and red flag it. Didn't pass. Try again. And yet his faith, he, would, he would try again. He would try again until his, and his faith never failed. You guys know the difference between faith and, and, and activity and character and integrity? And I'm not trying to be offensive right now when I say this. This is my own testimony. You guys know yours. But from age 17 to 20, I did some, some things I'm still ashamed of. I, I did things. I went places. I got arrested. I got put in jail. I led others into sin. I myself did things that, I, that I still haunt me to this day, for real. But I, I can say, honestly say, as Jesus could say about Peter, I prayed for you, Luke, that your faith wouldn't fail. Your integrity, your character, your own strength, 
fail. My faith in Jesus Christ during those years, though, I can honestly say from the bottom of my heart, my faith in Jesus was steadfast. I knew who Jesus was. I knew what he was doing. I knew what the word said. I knew there was a heaven and a hell. I knew what the Holy Spirit was. I ran from him as hard as I could. I knew the truth. It never, ever wavered and failed, and yet I had to fail. I had to come to the end of myself. In order that Jesus could say, you done yet? Done yet? Let's go. I got stuff I want to do in your life. And he looked at Peter and said, Peter, your faith's not going to fail, dude. The whole world's dependent on you. Remember when I gave you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, Pete? The whole world is dependent upon you. So I got your back. And yet Peter needed to hit the ground hard. So no matter what you're going through right now, no matter what you're caught up in, I have good news for you. Jesus is building up your spiritual house right now. And it might seem like there's sawdust everywhere and the plumbing don't work and it's unoccupiable. It's, a fin- it's an unfinished work. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you just got through a rough divorce or maybe your marriage is on the rocks. Maybe, maybe you're a young person. You're not married yet, but you're living with the person you're going to marry, but you're not married yet and you, sh- you shouldn't be doing that. Maybe you're addicted to something on a, on a computer or or elsewhere, and you, and you, oh man, you, you know it, man, I shouldn't be doing this. I got good news for you. See, Jesus is praying for your faith. How's your faith? Well, my faith, my faith in Jesus, I, I, I know Jesus. I'm saved. Once, once, I believe once saved, always saved, okay, because you can't unsave yourself, okay? You didn't save yourself. Jesus saved you, and he doesn't lose anybody. That's what it says, okay? You might get weird for a minute, though. Okay, you might go, go for a walk in the woods, and Jesus look at you and say, I'll be here when you get back. What are you going to do to me when I, when I get back? We're going to fire up the barbecue. I'm going to kill the fatted calf. I'm going to give you my robe. Because your robe is stinky. Prodigal son, you know, he came back smelling like pigs. <laughs> and his dad's like, dude, you stink. He put his, you know. And so no matter where you're at right now, if you're all messed up, you believe in Jesus, but it doesn't look like it. People can't tell on the outside because your character and your integrity are failing. He is sifting you because he loves you. Here's what you need to do. You need to repent. You need to make it right. And you need to just come back. Just come back to the Lord. And again, there's probably some people here, even older people, married people, that you got some stuff right now that's out of order. You know, nobody knows about. Secret relationship on the side, a thing. Just a, a, a dark part in your heart. It's like, what is that? Or it says, I know. I know. I love you. I love you. Come on back. Repent today. We're going to take communion at the end of this service. Come back today. All of, I've just been meditating on who Peter became and this meeting with Jesus and Pete and Jesus' sovereign control over the whole thing. And if it were me, I'd say, hey, Jesus, can't we just bypass the whole failure part? <laughs> can't we just get on to first and second Peter? Well, no, because it's going to be all about you. You guys know when he wrote his final book, Second Peter? He starts it out this way. Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Simon Peter. His, final, his last book, his final, the last thing he did in his most mature place of his life, he included his previous name. 
In, this, in First Peter, he says Peter. He, didn't, he, he, wrote, he just addressed it, Peter. And in Second Peter, he says, I, I remember. And I'm 40 years old. I know I look like I'm 20. Plus 20. And if I'm not careful, I'll remember 20 years ago. It takes me down. Here, here Peter in his final book is like, I remember Simon. I remember that guy. And it helps me to glory in the cross more than in my own strength. I have no strength. I've been sifted. I've fallen short. And Peter exhorts the believers to not get it twisted, but instead to know that what's going on in your life right now is probably Jesus building stuff. It's probably a project. He's doing a project right now. You ever done a project at your house? Man, easier than it looks, isn't it? Watch a DIY show online, you know, go buy a power tool. Next thing you know, you're in the emergency room, you know? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? What happened? I don't know what happened, man. I cut my arm off, you know? <laughs> Sawdust everywhere. Sheesh. Jesus is building stuff. As a matter of fact, here's a cool thing. Jesus, two things are happening right now, simultaneously. Jesus in John 14, right after this, said, Pete, you're going to fail, but be of good heart, because I'm going away to prepare a house for you. What? So I'm going to go down, you're going to go up and build me a house while I'm screwing around down here? Yeah, it's crazy, I know. I'm going to be building a house. Jesus right now is building you a house. He loves you, he's got a room for you. He's fired up. For 2,000 years now, he's been building heaven. Peter would go on in his first epistle to say, you know what else is going on on earth? Jesus is building you up a spiritual house. Living stones fit together, you and I down here. There's two projects going on, one in heaven, and I'm so thankful that Jesus is overseeing that, and I trust him, that's going to be legit. And down here on earth, right now, while you're alive, with your pulse, with your salvation, Jesus got the sawdust flying in your life. He's working stuff out, grinding stuff down, replacing stuff, upgrading things in your heart. And again, if, if you're like me every single day, you're faced with this, you get in the word, you look at yourself, you're, you're Pastor Luke or whoever you are, you're, you're aware, but you're like, man, I got some inconsistencies. Lord, you know that this is still kind of, this doesn't balance out, Lord. This isn't sure, this isn't straight. He's like, yeah, I got that. I got some blue tape right there. We're gonna fix that later. You know what I'm saying? Contractors are on the way for that one. Lord, that seems like a big remodel. Oh yeah, it's gonna hurt. <laughs> you love me, Lord? Yeah, I love you. And Peter would say, don't be surprised by the fiery trials or the various trials that you go through. And you know what he said, 1 Peter chapter 1? Because God is purifying your what? Starts with F, rhymes with eighth. <laughs> faith. He's purifying your faith. That is more precious to him than gold that perishes by fire. <sighs> Peter's writing this cup of coffee in hand going, man, 1 Peter Lord, you're, you, you told me that my faith wouldn't fail. That's what you're after, isn't it? Not, not, not a perfect run, not perfect works. Lord, you're the one who's building, but you're after our hearts. You're after our hearts. And so no matter what you're dealing with today, his promise to you is to see you through to the other side to finish the work that he began. So if you're down right now and feeling a little bit like Simon, just know this, he's working on you committed to the process and most likely he's taking out your weaknesses and sin and imparting his power he's taking out that fear of man and he's giving you courage 
want you to stand taller in a world right now that says, bow down. Bow down to everything. Lose your voice. He'll stand for anything. He's taken out also, this is important for a lot of us, he's taken out your pride and self-assurance and he's given you love and humility. He's taken out your judgment and condescending attitude towards others like Peter had, like all the disciples had. Like maybe if you're here today, you're, a, you're on the right team. You're a Christian, good job. Do you judge other people all day long? I, 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 I've been known to do that. Okay, God's got it. Put that on the list. Gonna get that out of you. Gonna get that out of you. This is all good work that he's doing and good news. And the thing about this too, this is so encouraging, is he's doing an eternal work. He's building you up and changing you forever. Forever. How many of you guys want an eternal work done in your life? Like a forever work. Most of us aren't looking for a temporary upgrade, you know what I'm saying? Like nobody wants to do the weight loss program that says guaranteed, lose 30 pounds and find 60 later, you know? Nobody's doing that, like, but that's what happens, you know? And Jesus is like, this is eternal. This is forever. This is, this is forever. We're going to be in the book of Revelation after the book of Luke. That's what we're going to study. Okay, talks about what's coming next, talks about what has been, what is, and what will be. Revelation chapter 1, verse 18 gives the outline. And it tells us what God's doing. There's a, there's a whole eternity coming. And we're so short-minded, aren't we? And we just look at what's going on. Man, it's such a big deal. And the house is a mess again. It's a wreck. And I can't handle this. And God's like, dude, this is forever. Guaranteed. I'm so thankful that the Lord has guaranteed that work in us. So every single day, God's working on your forever change, your forever house, both here on earth and in heaven. Life's pretty long, though, isn't it? I'll tell you, I, even yesterday, I just, man, I felt the, the enemy just, right after the conference, I got home, and I just, I just felt the, the enemy threatening me, just that spiritual warfare. And so there's a battle. We're going to see that next, actually. Jesus is going to say something crazy, in, in my opinion. Luke's the only one who records it, and I don't even honestly know what he's talking about, to be honest, a little bit. Maybe that's the only re reason Luke's the only one who recorded <laughs> You know, Dr. Luke, he's like, then he said this. We're not sure what he meant, but he said it. Did you know that every single day Peter would, like Paul, have a thorn in his flesh? In those days, roosters and farm animals were prevalent, okay, more prevalent than in our day. And what happens every single morning? You know, here's Peter, oh, you know, every single day. <laughs> Reminded. And the enemy loves to accuse the brethren day and night. When the enemy attacks me, usually he doesn't threaten me with like unknowns or fake stories. When the enemy attacks me, it's, it, he uses the truth. He reminds me of my past. He reminds me of my weaknesses. Okay, this is an ongoing work for this forever change. And I believe that this rooster actually was God's grace in Peter's life, that every single day he'd be reminded. Okay, it's not a bad thing to know where you've come from to know where you are, and to know where you're going. It will actually deal with a lot of stress in your life. Where you've come from, where you're going, or where you're at and where you're going, what Jesus is doing. And you won't have that long nose of religion and religiosity and judgment towards others. You'll actually have words like Peter of oh, encouragement. Guys, every, man, 
have I told you the story of when I denied Jesus? Yeah, you told us yesterday, bro. You know, Peter's always talking about his story probably because he knows that it leads to good news. And he signs off saying, Simon Peter, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. The good news is, is that we are faithless. He remains faithful to us. Look at verse 35. We're going to get into some new territory now. We're going to go from 35 to verse 38. I want you to see this. Again, this is not recorded in Matthew, Mark, or John. Uh, he goes right into John 14. In my father's house are many mansions. And then he goes on to uh, the walk uh, to the Garden of Gethsemane. We're still at the Last Supper here. And then we're going to begin the walk to the Garden of Gethsemane. And you'll notice in verse 39, he gets right to uh, the Mount of Olives leading up to the Garden of Gethsemane. We don't have any of that conversation. John 15, that great uh, t passage where Jesus is walking through the vineyard, talking about Jesus and how God prunes us and wants more fruit. And, and all these, uh, John 16, about the Holy Spirit coming. And John 17, Jesus praying for the church. And all these cool... He just goes right fast track, and uh, in verse 35, Jesus tells him that the future that is moving forward from this Last Supper is going to be different than the past. Now, how many of you uh, who are a little bit older, even my age, super young, have noticed that uh, your, your current season is different than your, your previous season? Like, it's different. Things have changed, haven't they? And how many of you guys realize that the future season is probably going to change also? Like, we don't want it to. We think it's always going to be this way. It ain't going to be this way. Things change. Seasons change all around us, do they not? But also, you change internally. You're a different person than you were when you first got saved. I dedicated my life to Jesus right around age 20, 21. Man, Jesus, you can take the wheel, okay? I'm done driving. I banged this car up pretty bad. Hopefully, he got, hopefully he got insurance, you know? And, and, and I gave my life to him. And since then, that Luke Frischette's a totally different person. Man, I'm, I, I'm glad that what God did in my heart then, but I'm also glad I'm not that guy anymore. I'm a totally different person. Seasons change around us and in us. And Jesus wants us to realize that uh, things are going to be different. As a matter of fact, look at verse 35. I want you to see this. I'm going to read it to you all the way to verse 38 so you can understand what I'm trying to say today. And he said to them, when I sent you without money bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? So they said, nothing. And then he said to them, but now, he who has a money bag, let him take it. And likewise, a knapsack. And he who has no sword... Now let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you that this which is written must still be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For the things concerning me have an end. And so they said, hey, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said, that's enough. Now, this portion, again, is not recorded in the other gospel writers, and I had to read it through various eyes and all kinds of commentators and teachers to find out what's being said here, what's the application. And the bottom line is this, things are changing. And he asks them a question in verse 35. You guys remember that time I sent you out with no money bag, no knapsack, and no sandals? I said, just go trust the Lord's going to be legit. Did you lack anything? They're like, no, dude, that was legit. Remember that? Back in Luke 10. We studied this out. Luke 10. Remember it was back in 1972 here at South Beach Church? Luke chapter 10. And he sent them out, and they went out two by two, and they went out with nothing. And the implication was, is it's going to be easy peasy. I'm going to take care of you. Kind of like those first years in your Christian walk where you're with Jesus. Man, I don't know how this is happening. Wow, it's awesome. And, and he says, remember that? Verse 35, this time, it ain't going to be that way. Remember I said no money, no backpack, no sandals? This time, you're going to need to get your piggy banks. You're going to need to pack, pack a lunch. You're going to need to bring a weapon. Whoa, that's crazy. Things are changing. Things are different. And here's the very important truth that I want you guys to wrap your minds around here at South Beach Church. 
Let me just say it quickly, and I can't develop these thoughts. Hopefully you're listening. There is a term that was developed out of the Reformation when the Catholic Church was split in the Protestant era of Martin Luther and, and others. And this Latin term is sola scriptura. And sola scriptura means the scriptures alone. All of the scriptures alone. And their whole thought back then was that you need all of the scriptures okay, to know all of God. Okay? And in the Catholic Church in those days, they didn't have access to the Bible. No one got to read it. They only had certain verses, and the priests would read out of Latin certain verses and scare the people and lead them into weird places. And the Protestants, guys, they started reading the whole Bible. And they're like, dude, turns out there's a lot of verses in here that'll help us on our way. Because if you take one verse and isolate it, it becomes a non-verse. It doesn't work. You have to have the other verses, the converses, in order to help you understand what might be possibly happening in that season. Let me give you an example. Let's say you only took Luke 10. That was your life verse. You just loved Luke chapter 10. You loved it all the way. And so you read Luke chapter 10 and Jesus says, don't take money, don't take a backpack, and you better take your shoes off. Okay, and all of a sudden you got this little cult of you and 12 other people, okay, walking around with no backpacks and no shoes asking for food. You know, like, Jesus said to do it. You know, and you're, God, take your shoes off. It's a sin. It's like, that's, that was a context for a certain mission at a certain time. Jesus here now says, guys, and he references Isaiah 53. He says, things are happening now. It's different. Put your shoes on, get your piggy bank, okay? pack a backpack, and pack a weapon. That's what's going to happen now. Why? Well, because the things in Isaiah 53 have to happen now. And Isaiah 53 is where we're going to kind of end in, in a few minutes. I want you to read that today on your, on your own time. Isaiah 53, one of the most powerful and prolific and incredible portions of Scripture that we have. Isaiah 53. Okay, it's written 800 years before Jesus, 2,800 years ago. And it details how Jesus is going to suffer and die and pay for the sins of the world. And what Jesus is doing is he's encouraging his boys, saying, guys, those good old days, that was awesome. It's going to be rough now. It's going to be rough now. So sola scriptura is a principle I want you guys to understand. that You can't just pick one verse and say, well, this is the one defining verse of the Bible. This is why I accept it or reject it. You've got to have the whole Bible. Okay? You've got to know the whole Bible and have the whole Bible. And I'll tell you what, if it's in the book, you need to know it. And if you need to know it, it's in the book. Okay, it's all there. This change, though, this missional change happens. Seasons change. You know what doesn't change? Scriptures. Okay? The missional change, Jesus might tell you at one point in your life, you know what I want you to do? I want you to trust me in totality. Really? You feel the Holy Spirit saying that? You read it in the Scriptures? Somebody confirms it in the body of Christ? All right. You can trust the Lord. Okay, what are you doing about that problem, man? Dude, I just feel, I just feel like the Lord's going to provide. No way. Cool. There's other seasons in your life where you've got a problem, you've got a situation, and Jesus is going to speak to you through his word, through the spirit and the body of Christ. Dude, you better figure it out. You better sell that piece of property. You better get a second job. You're going to have to finance this yourself. You're going to have to make this happen. You're going to have to do this. You're going to have to work hard and be savvy. You've got to be gentle as a dove, wise as a serpent. Which one? It depends on the mission of Jesus Christ that he has you in at that moment. This is so fun. This keeps us from becoming religious and weird, okay? Keeps us from putting God in a box. See, what religion is, is where, we, where men and women uh, take uh, principles and we create a frame around it and we put God in it and he fits real nice. Oh, look at that. Oh, got him, he's in the box. And then we stand on that box and we live our lives and yelling at other people that don't like our box. And God says, don't put me in a box. That's what religious people do. You would never... Marry somebody and put them in a box, would you? 
No, you marry that person and you get to know them and you live with them. And as they change, you change. And as you grow, you grow. And God, the scriptures don't change. God doesn't change. But as you grow and things change, you change and things change. Okay? And you know what's required in that? A relationship. You gotta be walking hand in hand with Jesus Christ. And here's what, here's what he says. Remember, I love verse 35. Let's just read it and make practical application. Hey, when I sent you out without money bag and knapsack and sandals, did you lack anything? So they said nothing. I wonder if Jesus is reminding them of how faithful he's been because now they're gonna be tested. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you guys have what you would call or what I would call the good old days? And you got some stories like, I oh, remember that. Do you remember that one time? This was so crazy. This was so crazy. You know, and I remember those good old days where Jesus did that and that happened and this was crazy. And, when, and in Luke 10, they come back from being out with no shoes and no knapsack and no money. They come running back to Jesus and they start going, la, 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 and they're telling all these crazy stories about what happened. It's awesome. Jesus here, right before the test happens, you guys remember that? Yeah, that was awesome. Good. I want you to build on that foundation of your memory because what's going to happen next is going to get nar-nar. Okay? You're going to be sifted. It's going to be hard. But don't forget how faithful I've been because I will be faithful in this next season, although it may be different. And if you're, I was going to say a big Christian, an older Christian, I, I just I remember the faithfulness of God. And yet it is differently experienced now because that's what God does. He said, that was awesome. Now, next level. I need you to just listen, he would say to you. I need you to Stay close to me. I need you to be able to flex when I say flex. And yet he gives us the old, dare I say, memories to lean on. Verse 36, then he said to them, but now, he who has a money bag, let him take it. And likewise, a knapsack. He says, take provisions. There's times in your life where you gotta let the Lord completely provide. Other times where you need to use your wisdom, use other resources, use people to navigate forward in whatever God is getting you to do. This requires, again, a relationship. It's the primary, what I believe, application for our lives. He also says in verse uh, 36, he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. Now, this is where all the commentators fork, okay? Now, in the English rendition, does it say buy a sword? Does it say that in English? Okay, it's translated from Greek. Does it say buy a sword in your Bible? Anybody else have anything different than buy a sword? Okay, you guys all think I'm gonna mess with you. I am gonna mess with you. It says buy a sword. Do you know what it actually says in the Greek, though? Buy a sword. <laughs> Just saying what it says. And all of the commentators, minus one that I read and listened to, all of them say he didn't really mean buy a sword. I'm like, I, oh, he. <laughs> what do you, and they all come, you know? I don't know. Let me say this. I don't know I wasn't there. I don't know. He said buy a sword. And they say, well, it's a, it's a spiritual application, you know, not a real sword. And I understand why they would say that, because they don't want Christians to mistakenly do what Peter did, buy a sword and start cutting people's ears off. Like, because some wingnut Christian, some, some cult leader is going to be like, you, we need to buy a sword, go after it. We need to start bombing abortion clinics. We need to start getting crazy and poisoning water of liberal cities. Like, dude, don't do that. And I understand why they would say he didn't mean buy a sword. Turn the other cheek and passivity. I understand, I understand but you got to sola scriptura. What's Jesus doing? What's Jesus doing in your life? Was he talking about a spiritual backpack or was it a real backpack? You know, get your imaginary backpack, you know, and take, take your imaginary money. <laughs> I don't think he was. I think he was talking real money and real backpacks and real swords. 
And let me just make a, a brief application or observation or illustration or understanding of the text. Okay? In Christianity, as seen in the whole of Scripture, there are times to be tough and there are times to be tender. Okay? Jesus was both tough and tender. Okay? And you and I need to lean into that and say, I need to be tough when I need to be tough. Okay? I need to figure it out. I need to make this happen. I need to put my helmet on, grab a sword. Sword of the Spirit is the Bible, the Bible says. I need to be able to fight for what is right, okay? In the context of how Jesus would have me to do it. But I also need to be tender when it's time to be tender. Jesus modeled and taught both of these principles, okay? When Jesus dealt with the Pharisees and the bad guys and the evil guys, was he tough or tender? Tough comes in, flips the tables, lets the animals go, finds a couple ropes and makes a whip out of it. Like, all right, come at me, come at me. Like, that's tough. Now, when the little kids wanted to play with him, was he making a whip? No, he's not, he's being tender. And the guys wanted the kids away. He's like, no, 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 the kids, I love the kids. I'm tender too. And when people would have hard times, he was tender with them and he would get on his knees and grab little hands of little dead girls and pray for them and they would come to life and he would grab the parents and love on them. It was tender. And yet when he went to the island there or the shore of Gadara, there was a demoniac man and Jesus had to roll up his sleeves. He's like, let's get after it. There's times that we as Christians in that relationship with Jesus need to be tough. Okay, grab a sword, put your helmet on. Figure it out. Don't back down. And there's other times where you have to weep and cry and laugh and embrace and hold each other. And, and Jesus here is saying, the times coming forward, they're gonna be different. You're gonna need to lean in. Jesus is preparing his boys for his departure. I'm so thankful for this exhortation that Jesus instructs them. I was thinking this through a little bit, the whole tough and tender, and most of you are in here probably thinking, what's this guy talking about? I'm just trying to figure it out too. And I was thinking of two, two men that I admire one is dead he gave himself to death he was hung by the nazis he was allowed to go free and he said no i'll stay here and die he was a german himself a german who was against hitler and yet he was for jesus and he had great theology and, and he decided I'm, you know what i'm gonna do he was a pacifist anti-war anti-violence wouldn't defend himself and received many beatings. And actually, I think he died. They, they hung him there in Germany. I think it was like 12 days or something, something crazy before the war ended. Something just right before. And, and, and his name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And uh, he writes a, a lot of books and Cost of Discipleship. And, and he had a soft heart. He was a theologian. I think, I think it was age 12, maybe age 14. He just declared, I'm going to be a pastor. I'm going into the seminary. And he spent the next seven years in seminary and came out of seminary at age 21 and was in America and received awards and had all kinds of platforms. And yet he felt called to go back to Germany during World War II and to minister to those on the wrong side and to oppose Hitler, even though he was a German. And so he laid his life down as a sacrifice. And I just I look at this man like, no way. This guy was just willing to die for others. And I respect him. And that was the mission that God had called him to. He was tender. And then as I was putting this together, I was thinking of another man named Sam, Sam Childers. You know Sam Childers? He's alive to this day. You can rent his movie uh, online. It's called Machine Gun Preacher. You guys, you guys seen this before? Okay, I'm not going to say you should watch it, but you should watch it. 
a machine gun preacher. And so a machine gun preacher, this guy's alive. He's, he's living on the East Coast right now, and, and, and he found out about the atrocities that are happening in the southern Sudan with uh, the Boko Haram and, and uh, Kony back in 2012 and all this crazy stuff. And, and he went over there. He's like, what's going on? And they're like, oh, what they do is they come into these villages and they abduct two or 300 kids every single night, these young boys, and then they take them back and they drug them and, and, and abuse them. And then at age, the very next year, they give them machine guns and they turn them into warriors and they go and kill others. And he's like, is anybody stopping, stopping this? No, nobody knows how to. And he, he said, could you mind if I, mind if I give a whirl? At this, and machine gun preacher Sam Childers, he decided to take matters into his own hands and says, if no one's going to save these kids, I'll save them. Well, the only way to do that is to fight at that same level. And so he has uh, raised up armies and emissaries and defenders and commandos and crazy stuff. I mean, crazy stuff for kids that you and I would probably say, you did it for the kids? The ones who can't defend themselves, the ones who are going to be abused and turned into murderers? And I'm not saying it's super clean and I understand everything, but look at this guy, Sam. He's like, that's who I am, kind of a tough guy for Jesus. I'm going to stand for the ones who can't stand for themselves, okay? And I'm going to do it as a mission unto Jesus, and I'm going to be held accountable for my actions, just like Bonhoeffer would be held accountable for his actions, and you're going to be held accountable for your actions. And even if you have something that needs to be dealt with, Jesus is faithful to work that into your life. And all I would say is this. Here's my questions. Are you, uh, what side are you on in your Christianity? Are you, a, are you a tough side guy? You know, fired up, getting after it, okay? Maybe you need to come back to the, to the tender side a little bit. Maybe you're, you know, I don't know. Or, or are you tender? You're soft-spoken, you're not you know, really out there, and you, you care for people, obviously, but you all, maybe you need to, to toughen up a little. I don't know. I would say that we're, net, we're always kind of in that, that balancing act. Lord, what's going on? Is the external mission around us changing? Always. Am I changing as a man or a woman of God as I navigate to the Lord? Yeah, I'm a different than I used to be. Settle into that. Jesus said, do you remember what it was like in verse 34? Yeah, it was great. Not anymore. Get your stuff, get in order, bolts in the chamber, boots on the ground, war's happening. And he goes on to say this in verse 37. For I say to you that this which is written must still be accomplished in me. Stop right there. If you're a theologian or a, uh, if you know prophecy, what he says there is really interesting. What's, what's written of me still must be accomplished. In other words, maybe there was a pervasive thought of the day that that had already been accomplished or it didn't have to be this way. Peter didn't think so. Peter was about to get too tough and cut Malchus's ear off. And Jesus says, you want to know what's going on next? Everything in Isaiah 53. It's got to happen. He says it this way in verse 37. And he, it says in the, all, let me read it from the top. For I say to you that this which is written must still be accomplished in me. Then he quotes it. And he was numbered with the transgressors for the thing. That's the end of the quote. And then he says, for the things concerning me have an end. In other words, they're happening. Jesus knows what's going on. Isaiah 53 details the sacrifice of Jesus, by his stripes were made whole, that all we like sheep have gone astray, but that he's given to him, uh, to us himself as a ransom. Verse 38, he ends this thought, and he says, so they said, Lord, here are two swords, and he said to them, it is enough. Uh, most commentators agree that when he said that, it was a frustrated tone when they pulled out these two swords. <laughs> Jesus is like, you're going to need some swords. And like, like these? And he's like, what are you doing with those? Where'd you get those at? It's enough. And he stands up and begins to walk and begins to tell them everything he told them in John 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. The good news today is that Jesus Christ knew his mission to save you from your sins, to deliver us from darkness, 
to build us a house both on earth and in heaven. And he told us our mission. That we're going to be needed in this world to navigate forward in tenderness with the people around us. I'm going to have Paul come up and lead us in a song, actually. And I, I, just, I want you guys to play with those two terms this week. Tough and tender. Are you tender enough? Like Jesus, who in John chapter 4 saw the woman at the well that the boys wouldn't look at. That lady's crazy. She's nuts. Nobody wants to talk to her. She's bad news. And Jesus is like, yeah, I'm going to go talk to her. It's pretty tender. Pretty tender. Wouldn't it be awesome if we grew in our tenderness because of Jesus? The other day I was surrounded by a crowd of people. Some go to church here, some do not. And I, and I just kind of had this thought. I was like, what am I, why am I here right now? And what I said, I want you to love these people. They're not all going to heaven. They're not all going to heaven. And I began to just kind of break in my heart. I was like, that's not, that's not okay. God's asked me to be tender. And, and, and maybe also additionally, you would say, Lord, I, I'm, I'm alive. I know the truth. And we live in a world right now that is fabricating truths that is eroding real truth, ignoring truth. I know the truth. I know the truth. And Lord said, I need you to kind of toughen up in that a little bit, just, just a little bit. <sighs> Take a breath and stand. Ephesians chapter six instructs you and I to put on armor, all kinds of armor, like put on armor, right? Remember the instruction once you've all armored up? Stand. Just take a stand. Ephesians chapter six, put your shoes on, put your boots on, put your belt on, put your breastplate on, put your helmet on, put your shield up, grab a sword, and then what do I do? Just stand, dude. Stand up. Can I go attack stuff? No. (laughs) You know? Can I blast somebody? That's not what I said. But I do just want you to stand. Just stand in love, in tenderness. I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads. Father, we thank you that you're so kind to build us a house and redeem us and change us and make us your own. And I pray, God, as we come to the table now, that we would rejoice in you, that you would do a work in us. Lord, forgive us for our, our unholy passivity. Maybe there's some people here that you just... You don't want to make waves. You don't want to be offensive. You want everyone to like you. It's a fear of man. You're more concerned what they think about you than you are about their eternal soul. And you need to to get some courage. And you need to ask Jesus to lead you. Standing in the gap. Maybe you're here this morning and you're you're kind of a jerk. You're, You're a Christian. You're forgiven and you know a verse. And... You're so right that you've actually become wrong in your attitude. And Jesus says, I need you to calm down. I need you to love people. I need you to go have have breakfast and have lunch and dinner and coffee with the unlovable, with people that you're judging right now. Lord, whatever the case is, would you just lead us to be more like you? We love you so much. Thank you for your cross. In the midst of all this, as you're instructing Peter and the boys, and as you've given us something to think about today, you boldly declare, oh yeah, by the way, guys, I'll do my part, you do yours. I'll fulfill scripture and prophecy. I'll die for your sins. No one else can die for your sins. I will do that. And I will give to you my Holy Spirit. And he'll live in you. So Lord, as we come to the table now, we proclaim your death until you return. We examine ourselves and see, wow, we're the ones who need forgiveness. And we proclaim your death, Lord, awaiting for your soon arrival. Would you bless this time at the table? 
May it not be religious or routine, but instead, Lord, may it be a relationship where we thank you for all you've done. We do this now in Jesus' name. Amen.